Hello, this is James Ippolitti, host of Out of Silence. I wanted to jump in just to let you know that you may hear that it is the Songsmith Podcast or Creativity Gurus Podcast. Season one of both of those have been combined to the name Out of Silence, and that will be the name moving forward for any interviews that I have about creativity. So don't be confused. Songsmith Podcast and the Creativity Gurus is now under one brand, Out of Silence. Peace. Have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. I'm so serious. Super easy. Let me explain. First, it's free. There are creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast from your phone or your computer. Mostly, I'd use the computer, but I just did the phone, and it was super easy. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And doing that yourself is a pain in the butt, so so happy they do it for me. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need, all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's get creative. Greetings, Hepcats. On this edition of Creativity Gurus, I speak with Rachel Richards, author of Money Honey and Passive Income, and you will hear all about it in this interview. I want to make it clear that creativity is not just painting or playing guitar. Creativity is about using that creativity to solve a problem, and Rachel is brilliant at this. Afraid of having debt after college, she managed to go through college, pay for college while she was in college, and graduate debt-free. It's an amazing story, and she retired at 27 with $15,000 of passive income per month. It's unbelievable. So remember, use creativity to solve problems that other people need solving. Let's get right to Rachel Richards on this edition of Creativity Gurus. And if you really enjoy what I'm doing, please give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you do not miss an episode. So here we go. Rachel Richards, Money Honey. My guest today is Rachel Richards, author of two best-selling books, Money Honey, A Simple Seven-Step Guide for Getting Your Financial Shit Together, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. Uh, At the age of 27, she quit her job, retired, and is now living off $15,000 per month in passive income. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, James, for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. So I first found out about you on TikTok because somebody, you stitched a video uh, of of a woman saying, how does a girl write a book? And then boom, you come in, you you show us what you did. Um, These two books, what are the differences between uh, Money, Honey and Passive Income? Like who would they be for? So I wrote Money, Honey in 2017. And at the time, I hadn't started creating passive income yet. I used to be a financial advisor. All my family and friends came to me for financial advice. And I began to wonder, well, why aren't they reading books or learning on their own? And I realized, oh, yeah, that's because personal finance is boring for most people, right? It's intimidating. It's complex. It's overwhelming. So I thought to myself, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. 
So it just breaks down this topic of finance and makes it easy to understand and learn about. It goes over the basics, so budgeting, savings, debt, and investing. And then my second book, Passive Income Aggressive Retirement, I wrote in 2019 because by then I was positioned to quit my job that year at the age of 27 and retire. And I was making 15 grand a month in passive income. So once I started saying that to people, they were like, what are you talking about? You're 27. How on earth are you going to retire? And I realized there was a big need for this information and for exploring what passive income truly is, what it isn't, how it works. And basically the book is a, a a very long, in-depth list of 28 ways to create passive income. So trust me when I say there is something out there for everybody. Well, that's amazing. You know, your story is just incredible, period. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable. Um, but I want to give you, since uh, this is basically, I, I usually interview like artists, musicians, writers, and your book is nonfiction, but it is, I actually laughed out loud reading your stuff. It's so well-written. And um, really, your personality comes out. It's really, really difficult to do because it is true. We are not taught this stuff and it drives me. Why are we not taught this? I don't know, but like you, it drives me insane. I mean, we are truly in a financial education crisis and at no point in our lives are we taught how to manage our money. Then we're left as young adults to figure it out all on our own. And what makes me mad is that so many of my friends and the people I work with They all have these feelings of shame and guilt and embarrassment when it comes to their money, but it's not their fault that they weren't given the resources they need to to succeed. So that's essentially why I do what I do, because it makes me mad and I want to fix it. Yeah, you should be mad. I I think everyone should be mad. And as I brought this up on my TikTok recently was a lot of artists get criticized because, oh, we're good at art, but we're bad at business. And I brought up the point that no one is good. No one has been given the tools to be good at finance and business um, unless you like specifically like in your case, you had a passion for it and and um, from a young age. And and I heard on a different podcast that you said it was out of fear of – being in debt and not having that freedom. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it really was. I grew up in a a wealthy county, very unrealistic bubble to grow up in. So my idea of what it was to be poor versus rich was very skewed. A lot of the students in my high school got brand new BMWs when they turned 16. And my family was not operating that way. We were not even going out to eat at restaurants, let alone driving new cars or going on trips as a family. So from a young age, I felt like I didn't fit in. And that's not the way you want to feel in middle school and in high school. Absolutely. They say that fear can be either motivating or paralyzing. And luckily for me, it was the former. It it was motivating for me. It kind of lit a fire under me of looking around and realizing I didn't want to end up like everyone else struggling with money. I didn't want to have to operate on a strict budget for the rest of my life or borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. And I realized that what I did then could either set me up for wealth or for poverty. So all the things I've done and my ambition is is from that fear of being financially dependent or struggling with money or being in debt. And that's why I've achieved what I've achieved. Yeah, and what's crazy is if you ask, if you walk up to anybody, they would say, "Yeah, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be struggling." And like you give, here's here's a book that says, "Here's what you can do." Why do you think it's so difficult for us to just make it work? 
I think it's difficult because it's uncomfortable. There's a, a lot of people see this end result that I have of I'm financially independent and I'm traveling and I have 15 right. grand a month. And it's like, wow, that's so sexy and glamorous. But the journey to get there is boring and mundane and the hardest that I've ever worked in my life. So if you looked at my life two or three years ago, you'd be like, I would not trade her life for the world. I've never been so exhausted, so stressed. And really, it comes down to the willingness to sacrifice. You have to be willing to sacrifice your time, your energy, your comfort, if you want to get ahead and achieve financial freedom. Yeah, you know, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk had a similar message because, um, you know, Gary V? Yeah, I love him. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he was saying that, you know, all through his 20s and, uh, you know, all his friends are going out, they're partying or doing all those things while he's like working and working and working. And, you know, if you were to go look at his life back then, you would think, you know, look at this guy, he doesn't have any fun. But now it looks like he's having a blast. But that's, um, I can relate to that so much. I was just talking to one of my best friends from college and she was like, do you remember how you were in college? Like you wouldn't spend money on anything. It, you would come out to eat with us and not eat and just drink water. And I was like, yeah, I was crazy. <laughs> and that's why I am here where I am today. But we were just laughing about it. Yeah. How did you avoid? I mean, I think that the hardest part is people, um, they want that gratification. They want to have that stuff. They want stuff. We're, we're, we are bombarded. Like we're not taught anything about money, but we're bombarded on how to spend money. Um, how did you avoid those temptations? I think it just came down to to this insane drive that I had. I had this goal. So going into high school or going into college, I was very scared of the thought of going into student debt. I'm very debt averse. I don't like to have debt. And I'd seen how crippling it can be for when after you graduate, how crippling that can be to get ahead. So I had this, again, an enormous fear. So I became so focused on achieving this one goal of graduating with zero debt. And that's part of the reason I started selling Cutco. Have you heard of Cutco knives by any chance? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I sold knives. I paid my way through school. And I remember I just looked back at my budget a month ago because I was going to do an email about it. My senior year of college, I spent something like $1,072 for the year. Like for what? the whole year. Yeah. Did you so, eat like ramen? Is that all you ate? Like, yeah. Like I mean, I, noodles? I had already paid like the tuition and room and board before that. So that included my meal plan. But I essentially okay. didn't go out to eat. I didn't buy anything. I wasn't shopping. I mean, I lived on on nothing back then. And I, I just think you have to have a big enough motivation. So I was so focused on graduating without debt. And I just knew in my mind, every dollar I spend is a dollar that I could be putting towards tuition. So you just right. have to now, know, like, what, what is your motivation? Why do you care to do this? Right. So what, what is the difference between the debt you were so afraid of and like debt that you currently have because of like having real estate and things like yes, that? Yes. Big difference. And a great question. I think debt is very smart when it is used as leverage to purchase a cash flowing asset. So used as leverage to purchase a cash flowing asset. When you can use money that way, and the prime example is with rental properties and real estate, then you're putting your money to work for you. You're investing it. You're making way more money off of that than you would, for example, if you take on consumer debt. You're not going to make money off of your consumer debt. You're going to be paying yeah, a high right. interest rate. It's going to be for likely a depreciating asset like a car or, right. or a credit card, which is not even an asset at all. So there's a huge difference. But if you can figure out a way to use debt smartly and wisely, that, that is truly how wealthy people get ahead. And that doesn't scare you to have that kind of debt? 
as much, I guess, obviously not as much, but at all? No, and that's a good point because I was so afraid to take out student loan debt. But I think to me, the student loan debt, it's hard to understand the ROI on that. You know, what's the return on my investment? Is it a... Is it going to generate cash flow because of my degree or because of something else that I did? So it's hard to quantify. And a lot of people go into massive amounts of student loan debt only to come out and not be able to find a job. And in fact, I graduated with a financial economics degree with a 3.99 GPA. I had professors telling me, your degree is going to have you making 60 grand starting out. And I was making 36 grand starting out and then 40 grand. So it's just so hard to predict the ROI on that, that I think that's what the fear came from. Yeah, you know, I have two sons starting college this year, uh, and it's scary as hell. And I that I will say this, though, you're not going to find many people who agree, they will agree with you that the ROI is not there. But it's so pushed into our head that you have to do this. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to know what to do. I do think people are starting to kind of wake up to the fact to realize going to college isn't necessarily a given anymore, or how can you do it in a creative way? So for example, my husband, um, he kind of did two things. First of all, he's a veteran, so he used his military benefits to pay for school. But secondly, he started off at a community college for his first two years, and then he transferred into a really, really top-notch school. So he was paying like a cheap tuition for, for only for half the time and then the expensive tuition for half the time. So there's things you can do to sort of offset. Right. Let's talk about your passive income. What, what is, is it real estate? Is it the books? What's, yeah, um, I have a lot of different sources now. I think I have eight different income streams, but the three biggest ones at this point are the rental income. We're in the process of actually selling some of our rentals right now, but when we had our whole portfolio, we were making about 10 grand a month in profit just from the rentals. And then the second biggest one at this point is my books, the royalties from my books. I make anywhere from five to 10 grand per month in profit from my two books. And then my third biggest income stream is now my online courses. And I make probably around four or five grand per month from right. those. Now, when did you start the online courses? I launched my first one last year. It was actually right when COVID started. So it was a little iffy, but it helped a lot of people during a time when they needed it. And it's, so yeah. that is my eight week online course called Get Your Financial Shit Together. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Um, so, when the woman on TikTok asked about self-publish or publishing a book, you had said most people want traditional publishing and you are independent publishing your stuff. Uh, can you talk about why you think that's better? Yes, I can. I, I, I used to be enamored with the idea of a traditional book deal. I just thought if you were going to be big and you were going to make it, that's the way to go. You get a big book deal and they're going to do all the marketing and launching your book for you and it's going to be a massive success. And then I realized after doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of traditionally published authors that that's actually not the case at all. They still expect you to do 99% of the marketing and promoting of your own book. Yes. And I was like, that's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, I... Yeah. I, I, I... 
I never thought I'm, that's the whole thing that traditional publishing sees like, oh, I, I'm the author. They're going to go and push it and push it. And wow. Right. Because I was like, I don't want to market. I don't want to promote. I don't like doing that. No one likes to do that. So I thought if I get a traditional book deal, they'll do that all for me. And that's not the case. Like they have those kinds of budgets for people like J.K. Rowling and Stephen King. But for your right. average author, they're not going to put you on a book tour or do whatever else that they do. So then I was starting to look at the numbers and I realized that if you get a traditional book deal, you're going to make a 10 to 15% royalty. Whereas if you self-publish on Amazon, you can make a 35 to 70% royalty. So I figured well, if, I'm gonna, if I'm going to have to do it all on my own anyways, I'm going to do it and make a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you familiar with the new Kindle Vela? I'm not. What is that? All right. Do you know what Wattpad is? Yes. All right. So Vela is probably going to put Wattpad out of business. But um, what Kindle Kindle Vela is, let's say you want to do a chapter at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, You can start your first chapter. People say, I really want this. And they kind of buy the next, you know, like, I want to go further. It just released. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm going to write this down. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's V-E-L-L-A. Okay, cool. That's so intriguing. I feel like that is a better move for fiction than nonfiction. Yes. yes. And so yeah, that's I don't really know if interesting. It would work with nonfiction, but um, yeah. fiction, it definitely seems like a really cool way of writing. And um, I also heard that you are interested in writing fiction. I am. You know, when I was a little kid, I would write short stories all the time. And I would tell people, I want to grow up and become a novelist, an author, whatever. I gave up on that dream because at some point I was thinking to myself, that's impractical. Who makes money from writing books? Which is ironic because here I am 20 years later. (laughs) Um, But fiction to me, I don't know why it feels harder to do. It feels like scarier to do. So I haven't done much with it, but it definitely still is a dream to write a best-selling novel someday. Knowing what you know about nonfiction writing and putting that out there, would you then say, I'm going to do this the same way? You know, that's a like, good question. And I I do feel like self-publishing is more valuable for a nonfiction author than a fiction author. But if you ask me why, I can't put my finger on it. Like it's more of a gut feeling. So I don't I can't articulate why. I think what I'll do is what I did for my second book about passive income. So with passive income aggressive retirement, when I was working on that in 2019, I actually did submit query letters to literary agents just to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. If it would get picked up, what kind of offer I would get. I did have a couple agents that were interested in representing me, but at the end of the day, I just decided I had such success with money, honey. I'm just going to do it the way that I did before. So I think if I write a fiction book, I'll do the same thing to see if there's interest. And if not, I'll just self-publish. Yeah. um, So when you went out there, like it seems like, at this point, with the success you've had with your two books, it might be a lot easier for you to, not necessarily with fiction, but with nonfiction, if you decide to do a nonfiction, another book. Um, yeah, nonfiction, I'll definitely do self-publishing. Because now I've ha- I have a huge audience that I can market to and people who want me to write more books. Whereas right. with fiction, it's almost like starting from scratch. Because my, fic- my nonfiction readers don't necessarily translate to what my right. fiction readers could be. So what would you – do you have an idea of another nonfiction book? I have so many ideas. I, yeah. <laughs> constantly. I've thought about writing one 
just about kind of life advice or business advice or financial advice, but using parables or short stories. Um, I've definitely am interested in writing one about real estate investing because that I get asked about real estate investing all the time. How do I get started? How do I find deals? So I know that people want that information and I can provide it. Well, what's interesting, uh, and I think what you bring to the table is, you know, you could obviously go anywhere and get books on this type of information, but like your opening to Money Huddy talks about is it's so dull, it's not interesting, and I think right away your Money Honey book, when I, I started reading that and it was just, you know, captured by your voice and saying, here, this is somebody who can talk to me and not make me feel stupid. Oh, good. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole goal. Because that's it's scary because you feel like at a certain age, no matter, I guess it doesn't really matter what age, that you feel like you should know this stuff, but you don't and you're embarrassed about coming out about that. Yeah, exactly. And so the last thing you need is to feel inferior reading a book or feeling stupid reading a book. And I mean, I'm a total need or nerd. <laughs> I'm a total nerd. I love getting into the numbers and the details, but there are even some finance books out there that it's hard for me to get through because it's just so dry and you know, your eyes glaze over and you zone out. So it's like, let's make these topics engaging and fun. Let's find a way to do that and make it more accessible for people. Real estate to me, I don't know, like I'm going to I'm going to be your your audience cuz to me it just sounds like impossible like you need to have a ton of money you got to be Donald Trump sorry but <laughs> you'd have to be that that kind of person to be able to buy stuff like that And that's what I used to think there's so many I think limiting beliefs like that that hold us back and when I first started learning about real estate investing I just figured, well, I can't do this because I don't have any money. But if I knew then right. what I know now, I absolutely could have gotten started sooner. So I, that's one of the things that I want to help people with. You did mention about uh, millennial females. Why do you think they need this so much? At the time, it was just that's who I was surrounded with. So I was surrounded by all my millennial friends and people who were asking me about finance. So when I wrote Money, Honey, I wrote it basically for my best friend. Like I pretended like I was talking to her and making it fun for her. And I think because it was so specifically targeted, it just resonated with that group of people. And so as I've grown and gotten older and learned new things, like they just kind of keep following me. But I think Gen Zers are also enjoying my books as well. And they need the same kind of help. You know, that explains why your book reads so well. And actually for video too, to speak as if you're talking to your best friend. Yes. And I think you do that also on your TikToks. Like when you watch your, your TikToks, it's like, yeah, you're talking just to me, you know? Oh, and, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, it feels, it feels legit. Like, here we go. Here's somebody, you know, giving me great advice. And it's not like you're just talking to a bunch of people. It's really difficult to, to do that. So kudos for that, especially Thanks. in writing. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are worried to be so specific because they're like, well, I don't want to turn off a guy or an older person or whatever. But actually what I found is that being so targeted towards a specific audience makes my content more engaging and all these other people find it and read it too. So I have plenty of male clients and I have plenty of older clients that I help as well. Yeah, but you probably get a lot of crap from men. I do. And I actually made a TikTok on that recently. Oh yeah. I'll have to go check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, I know just in any field I've ever worked in, women have to deal. I'm in tech mostly. You could have a a woman who knows everything I know, but they'll be like, I want to talk to him, you know. Oh my gosh, exactly. Yes. And it's it's awful. 
all the mansplaining too that I get on my TikTok videos, it makes me laugh. I used to take stuff really personally, but I've grown a thicker skin. But, sure. you know, I did a video recently about how I have over a million dollars of debt. And that one kind of blew up. And it's it's the it's all the mortgages I have on my rental properties. I'm I'm not over leveraged. I have anywhere between twenty to fifty percent equity in all of my rentals. And and so all of these people are like, You're stupid or you're an idiot, or look up Dave Ramsey. And I'm like, I am well aware of Dave Ramsey's story and I respect what he does. And also I agree to disagree. Like it's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, but it's really I think it's really important for women. Um, to do like if you are succeeding at something, to bring that out into the open, share it, and so other women can feel empowered um, that this is something they can do. Because for yes, forever uh, since the dawn of mankind, you know that they've been told you're you're second rate, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think it's super important what you're doing and empowering all those women. Thank you, and thanks for bringing that up, James. That's awesome. Yeah. So. Let's say I want it to well, – we'll stick with nonfiction. I'm putting out a book, right? What, what would your advice to me – I want to put out a nonfiction book. I want to self-publish it. What, what would be the first thing I should be – besides having the idea, mm-hmm. the um, biggest, what is your advice to people that want to do this? Yes, the biggest mistake that first-time authors make is that they're approaching – I don't know a better way to put this. They're approaching it selfishly. They think this, mm-hmm. I love this book idea. This is what I want to write about, and I'm going to write about it and sell it. Instead of approaching it selflessly, where they're looking at the market and they're asking, what are people struggling with? What is a problem that people are having that I can actually help solve? So I think that's the first thing because there are thousands of books out there. So you need to answer, you need to be able to answer the question. Why would somebody buy your book over the thousands that are already out there? How is yours going to be different? You know, with mine, there's thousands of personal finance books. I decided to write about it in a very sassy way, which made it stand out. And I had a very clear message to female millennials. So that's what you need to ask and get really clear on your unique value proposition first and foremost. Where did you discover that that? way of doing it. Like, cause that's not something a lot of, like you're saying, it's the number one mistake. Was this something you just came across like naturally or you read somewhere? Hey, I have to hmm. do it this way. That's a good question. I'm an avid reader. So I've read tons of business books and marketing books. It might've just been something I kind of picked up and pieced together over time. One of the best resources I use to self-publish my book is the book published by Chandler Bolt. I don't remember if he talked about the unique value proposition or not, but that was a huge help for me in planning how to strategize my launch. Nice. And so when you went to market it, well, I guess, did you do different marketing strategies for each book? Like, what did you learn from Money Honey and say, well, now did something different? A little. I mean, I I think overall they were pretty similar, but you really need a launch team. You need a a group of people that are going to be committed to your book's launch, ready to share it, buy it, promote it, review it, do everything that they possibly can. And I actually didn't do that with Money Honey. Instead, I was a member of a couple different Facebook groups that had my target audience. And I was already engaged. I was already having good discussions on those groups. Every now and then a finance question would come up and I would hop on and I would say, hey, I'm Rachel. I'm a former financial advisor. Here's what I think. And I would write out a really long, helpful response. 
after doing that enough times, people began to take notice and they would tag me when people would ask finance questions. So somebody would ask a question, they'd be like, oh, Rachel Richards is your girl or, oh, you need to ask Rachel. So I kind of had this clout and I became known as this finance guru in some of these Facebook groups that had literally thousands of female millennials, which was great. So even though I didn't have a formal launch team that I put together, in a way, those Facebook groups acted as my launch team. Because by the time I had the book idea, I went on and I said, hey, I have this idea of this book. What do you guys think? And so many people were like, oh my gosh, please write a book. You make finance so easy to understand. And I had them help me pick my cover. I had them help me decide on my title. So they were almost emotionally invested in the success of my book. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And so So, it was almost like having like an informal launch team. That's pretty awesome. So how did they come up with money, honey? I You're don't. The money, honey? I think I did, but it was I pulled them. They voted on it. Yeah, because here's the thing: rich bitch was already taken. So <laughs> All right, I was going to ask you what your other options are. I know. I, good. That's already yeah, taken. Huh? Yeah, right. I wanted something just catchy and short and memorable. And here's an interesting thing, though, because my subtitle is a simple seven step guide for getting your financial shit together. Now, as right. I was getting feedback on the subtitle. A lot of people were saying, don't put a cuss word in your subtitle. It's a turnoff. Mm, it's it's crude. Think. It's unclassy, blah, blah, blah. Then I looked at who was giving me that feedback, and it was all like baby boomers and whatever. Boomers. Yes. Yeah. And so I was like, well, that's not my target audience. And then on the other hand, though, all the millennials were like, I love the cuss word in the subtitle. Like that makes it well, so... Well, look at, um, what's her name? Uh, How to be a badass at making yes. money. Yes. Uh, Jen uh, Sincero. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, and then you have, um, oh, it's a, it's a self-help book, but it's like unfuck yourself. Yes, exactly. That's another great book. Yeah. No, that, I mean, you're right. That's a boomer thing saying, oh, mm-hmm. that's so unpro-. They want the book that you're not writing. <laughs> right. You know? Right. So it's they like. They want the list- boring, dull. Yes. Do, do the market research, but listen to the people, only the people that are actually in your target market that you want to buy your book. So I, I went right. with that. I went with my gut. I trusted my instincts. And I, I'm really glad I left that word in there. Yeah, no, it's great. Thanks. And I like the, it's also clever visually with the dollar sign with the word shit. So <laughs> thank you. Know, that works great. So what's next? What's next? I, I just launched a real estate investing boot camp because I, I get a question a day from people being like, do you offer any mentoring on real estate investing? So I was like, okay, I got to put something out there to help people. And so that's been fun. That's going to kick off in a few weeks. And I don't know. I think I'm going to continue to travel, hopefully write a fiction book one day and just continue to find ways to help people. So how busy are you? sound extremely busy, but a lot of the passive income, like I know prior to retiring, you must have been like crazy busy, but are, is it slowed down or you just, is it just crazy all the time? It can be. What I've had to learn and remind myself of is that I'm in complete control of my schedule and I have to have boundaries because I'm a workaholic. And when you love what you do, it's very easy to work all day and feel like, wow, that was a great day. But then if you do that enough days in a row, it's very stressful. You get burnt out. You deal with anxiety. So I've had to learn to have healthy boundaries and really protect my time. But now that we're kind of on the road and traveling, I've cut back a lot. I don't do nearly as many like meetings or calls or podcasts. I'm really more focused on content creation and growing my audience. So I probably oh, thank work. Thank you for 
putting me in there. I, oh, absolutely. I <laughs> don't do it. Thank you for asking me. I'm seriously so flattered. Um, I, yeah, I focus and I probably do five hours of work per day and then, and then I hit the gym. <laughs> nice. Now, what about your husband? Is he in this with you? So he is in the real estate investing stuff with me, but he is still working full time. He, he works fully remote. He can quit. I'm trying to prove it to him that he can quit because we're saving 100% of his salary. I'm like, you don't need to work. Yeah, I think he's a little scared. Um, but he he really enjoys what he does, I think, more than I did. So he's in no rush. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, though. That's really cool. And yeah. it doesn't like uh, you guys, like the real estate thing, you guys work that out really well together. Like how, how does that uh, – who's the boss? I'm laughing because we have not – historically worked out the real estate investing very well together. There's times when I'm the boss and there's times when he's the boss, but it's okay. hard. It's hard being married and being business partners. And if you yeah, don't, yeah, like you have to be specifically say like, let's be business partners in this conversation and set those expectations or, Hey, let's be husband and wife in this conversation. And I think when we can say that before we start talking about real estate, things go a lot better. <laughs> So this is great. Um, I hope when you have something else, you give me the time to talk to you again about your next book or whatever it may be. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I really appreciate you inviting me on. Absolutely. Thanks, Rachel. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>